Welcome to the CDA's annual conference podcast series. I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. I'm based in Halifax, Nova Scotia as a dermatologist. We're here on the floor of the Canadian Dermatology Association's 2019 annual conference in Calgary, Alberta. This podcast is supposed to give you a chance to hear a little bit more from some of our keynote and guest speakers that are presenting at the conference this year. We're speaking with Dr. Heidi Kong. She is the investigator and head of the cutaneous microbiome and inflammation section in the dermatology branch of the NIAMS. That was quite a mouthful. She's speaking to us at this conference really about the microbiome and her research in the same area. And I just wanted to say a warm welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So whenever I think about different types of research, one of the things I'm always wondering about is how did you get into that specific area? And maybe a little bit more specifically, was there something, you know, working with somebody, doing a project along the way during your training, which I know was quite diverse across the country, um, was there something that was a catalyst for the area that you became interested in? So in 2007, I first met somebody who will has now been my collaborator for over a decade. So Dr. Julie Segray is a PhD genomicist, and she works in the National Human Genome Research Institute, so another institute at the NIH. It's a lot of institutes. That's at right. The NIH. There are. And so she came to my mentor, my clinical mentor at that time, and initially said, "There's this human microbiome project coming up. They're looking at the microbiome over the entire human body, and they want to include skin." And once I understood what the microbiome project was about, I was very adamant that it was important that dermatology had a seat at the table mm -hmm. because of our experience with skin, our knowledge of skin diseases, and generations of dermatologists knowing that from clinical experience that microbes likely play a role in several dermatologic disorders. Right. So in that sense, I wanted to make sure that that expertise that dermatology has was maintained in the Human Microbiome Project. So back in 2007, that's where it all started. And Julie and I have worked together as partners for uh, since that time. Okay, that's very cool, actually. And I, I think it's very important that you got that seat at the table because obviously over time we've realized there really is a significant role of, human, or of the microbiome. Um, was there anything as you were starting to delve into your research that you kind of said, uh-huh, this is the way I should go. It's really in atopic dermatitis or it's really in psoriasis because I, I think you've taken more of an atopic dermatitis bent, if you will. But, but what, what led you down that path? So why atopic dermatitis? That is something that I think is important to explain because it was given the microbiome world and where it was developing, initially starting off in environmental microbes and then moving to people, it was important to determine whether it could work in skin. Right. And so based on generations of dermatologists' experience with atopic dermatitis and culturing methods, it was a very clear disease to start with. It was a proof of principle disease and one might say low-hanging fruit. Okay. Because if you didn't see a difference in the microbiome in atopic dermatitis, maybe this doesn't work in skin. Right. Um, and so that's where if we had started off with a different disease where that microbial connection was less defined, then we wouldn't know if it was the methodology or the disease. Right. 
And I guess sometimes when we think about research, when you start to present new concepts or ideas, sometimes there's a little bit of resistance or colleagues kind of think, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it's exactly right. But it, it sounds like maybe you didn't have that experience at the beginning with this area because it was something that we were thinking about as clinicians, knowing that there was a fair amount of um, involvement of the microbiome. Would that be fair? I would say that's correct because it was very clearly related to what had been observed based on culture studies so that it was a natural progression to say now using this different methodology, we find similar findings. Honestly, we had hoped there was an unculturable microbe that we could find with sequencing that would give us the key for atopic dermatitis. But in fact, it was the microbes that we ha can culture, we have been able to culture, that were actually the ones that were changing. And so it was a validation of culture methods, mm -hmm. but also um, a validation that this method could be used. When you started to get into this area of research, did it have an impact on your clinical practice or the way that you viewed atopic dermatitis? So I think it didn't necessarily change the way I manage the disease. Um, I think many of us use anti-inflammatories and in some cases antimicrobials to treat these patients. So in a sense, it, it hasn't changed more reinforced, if you will. Exactly. I think it probably is more of a reinforcement that, say, that says, I do see microbial shifts so that I will continue to use um, and incorporate the auto, or not, excuse me, the antimicrobials in this as well. Right. And I think so, you know, one of the questions that I've been thinking to ask people is, um, how significant or important do you think this research is, or why do you think it's important? And I guess, what do you think is most important about this that we, many of the listeners being predominantly clinicians, should take from it or, or maybe think about when we're treating these conditions, including atopic dermatitis? So I think the challenge is, um, and this is, I think, in general, the challenge with microbiome work is that we still are at the very beginnings. Right. Um, and despite the fact that there's an incredible amount of enthusiasm for this research area that people want to directly translate it. Mm -hmm. But I think most of our, my sense is most of the studies that I've seen show an associative link between okay. microbial differences and diseases, and that we still haven't fully unraveled how much of it is causative versus associative. Okay. And so I think in that sense, I think it's important to recognize that there are microbial differences, but how it really influences clinical decisions, I think that's still uncertain. So I guess that would lead me to my next question, which is in terms of your research or going forward, what's next for you? What's what's on the on the horizon? So based on our development of different methodologies and really defining how we can use this as a tool to study skin diseases, one of the things that we're taking advantage of is the incredible population that is seen at the NIH Clinical Center. And what we do there is take care of patients who cohorts of rare primary immunodeficiencies. And these are patients who have a very defined immune deficiency, monogenic disorders essentially, and beginning to determine if you knock out or if you have a knockout in this particular gene, how does that change the way your microbiome is on the skin, in the gut, in the mouth, different areas? And so more recently, last year, we published our study looking at patients with 
the primary immunodeficiency disorder, DOC8 deficiency. Right. And so these patients have high viral reads on their skin that are completely different than atopic dermatitis or healthy volunteers. And so when we compare those controls, this is it was fascinating to determine that these patients, when you knock out the DOC8 gene, they potentially, it means that their skin cannot control the viruses that are present. And that potentially that we who have the DOC8 gene that's functioning, that our immune system can fight off these viruses. And these patients cannot do so as well. So it's starting to help us understand how each of these different areas of the immune system may be important in shaping what microbes can live or not live on our skin. And so when you're talking about viruses, are we talking about classic things that we'd see, you know, HSV type of viruses? Or are we talking about really weird and wonderful viruses that maybe you only see at, say, the NIH? So these are patients, especially in DOC8 deficiency, they have warts. They okay. can have um, herpes simplex virus infections. Mm -hmm. They can have molluscum contagiosum. So these are viruses that we see in clinical practice, but these patients can't control it. Right. It's to the degree that they can have sheets of molluscum. Wow. And so in that sense, it's a very extreme example of what one might see in a regular clinic, but it helps us begin to understand how the immune system may be controlling these different viruses, keeping them in check. Mm -hmm. And then once you start to lose different parts of your immune system, how it then becomes out of control. And so that the challenge will be in trying to look at the host side and really look at biopsies and figuring out what is it about the host that's what is happening at the skin level to control these viruses. Because it's very possible that if we understand that at some point what the host is doing to control these viral infections, then could we then apply this in more common situations where these viruses are also playing a role? And so this is that's pie in the sky kind of goal, <laughs> yeah. but it starts somewhere and it right. starts in a population where we can really define what their immune system is doing. And so that's where we'd like to go. And we are seeing a lot of patients with primary immunodeficiencies. Okay. But I think the distinction is it's one thing to look at blood and look right. at pull out your blood and look at the immune cells in the blood. But what we know is that the immune system in the skin is different. Right. And so we can't just take blood and look at the immune cells and understand what's happening at the skin level. Right. We actually need biopsies. And so that's some uh, that's a major hurdle especially when we're looking at diseases that have kids. Yes. Yeah. That it's not so easy to get to the skin. Fair enough. Yeah, you'd think it's something that's easily accessible, but sometimes it is very challenging to be able to get that biopsy. So if that's where you're hinging on, I can see why that would be difficult. But I can also see how this would be fascinating. And I think practically speaking, if there was a way to figure out the immunology of what's going on with a wart virus, someone would be very, very wealthy. Um, <laughs> and you'd have very happy patients. <laughs> you would have very happy patients. I see so many patients with, you know, this has been here forever. And then I just can't imagine what it would be like to be covered in that. Yeah. Um, so just thinking about the presentation that you gave here at the annual conference, if there was a, a one uh, line or sort of main take-home message that you'd like people to remember, what would that be? I think it's important to be aware of what are, that there are unseen factors that may be influencing skin disease. But I think the other important concept is to be 
skeptical also okay. of some of this research and to always keep in mind, yes, it's associated, but is this causal? Because that will be really important. While yes, there's enthusiasm, but tempering the enthusiasm because on the other hand, we don't want to do anything that potentially puts somebody at risk. And so some of these interventions that may be coming very quickly may not have been thoroughly vetted, um, whether it's a topical or fecal microbiota transplants. We need to be very mm, yes. careful yes. about how one approaches this and maybe in what diseases we're using it for. And I think that leads me to sort of a side question, but, you know, if you think about your research or some of the reactions that you've had to your research, whether it be in general public, other physicians, other colleagues, has there been something that's been very interesting in terms of the response to the research you've had or someone that's challenged you in a way that you thought, oh, I never really thought about that? Yeah, I think it's particularly challenging being in this field and seeing how it's progressed from 2007 from the human microbiome, human microbiome project perspective and where we are in 2019. And I think the biggest challenge is this has captured the imagination of the public. Yeah. People really have grasped onto this idea of what are our microbes doing? Can we change it? Can we give a fecal transplant and alter disease? And I think it's important to consider that the ones, the diseases that we see fecal microbiota transplants working for are for example, Clostridium difficile colitis. Right. And so those are infections. Yes. And so we can identify the causative microbe. Where I think it's going to be more complicated are inflammatory disorders or those that are multifactorial. Mm -hmm. And so trying to understand, is this actually, a, does the do the microbes play a role in these multifactorial diseases, but also is it a substantial enough role that altering the microbes will actually make a huge impact on this disease. And so the, the importance of trying to convey, and that's where when I talk to the public, uh, particularly the lay press, in trying to drive home that these are associative studies in many of these cases, and that we need to be cautious about how we move forward, because we all want to be able to improve health, but we also need to be careful in how we move forward. Absolutely. And I think this is a very challenging time in medicine for that particular area because, you know, there's a lot of information and or interpretation of information. And so I think that's really important. But it's also fascinating and really exciting. So I think there's probably a lot to come. Uh, I always like to end off with a non-dermatology related question, which is, do you have any podcasts or books or audiobooks that, that you're reading right now that you think, I'd like to pass that on to the audience. It's a good one. <laughs> So I'm actually in the middle of listening to an audiobook um, that has actually been made into a film. It's okay. called Boys in the Boat, um, okay. and it's about a group of boys slash men who are um, from the University of Washington, and they were on this crew team. And they basically come from, they grew up in the Depression era, and they, through despite the challenges... Um, losses, wins, they are and they are able to actually go to victory and row to gold in the Olympics, which was in, under Hitler's regime at that time in wow. Germany. Wow. And so I was fascinated by the story and it really captured my imagination in trying to think about this serendipitous grouping of people, these essentially boys in the boat, the boat maker, the coaches, 
all of these people coming together at that right time and achieving this unexpected victory despite all of their struggles to get there. And so in that sense, it's inspiring. And um, I've enjoyed it so far. I haven't finished it. But um, (laughs) if it's been made into a movie, obviously others enjoyed it as well. Absolutely. Well, I just want to thank you for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Thank you for giving a great presentation at the conference. And I look forward to uh, hearing you speak at future conferences, which I'm sure I will. Thank you. It's been fun. Agree. Dr. Heidi Kong is the investigator and head of the cutaneous microbiome and inflammation section in the dermatology branch of the NIAMS. Say that five times fast. She's here at the Canadian Dermatology Annual Conference to present on the microbiome. That's it for this episode. Make sure you hit subscribe so that you're notified when new episodes are released. From the floor of the 2019 CDA Annual Conference in Calgary, I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. Thanks so much for listening.